0: Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper.
1: And I'm Aaron Matic.
0: How's it going, Aaron?
1: This cat's going nuts.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you should tell us about your new cat. Oh,
2: no, no, no. What? She's got a bag around
0: her neck. (gasps) Save her quick. And and why why don't you show our viewers what you're dealing with? You know, it's funny. Aaron went from advocating the uh, execution of his family cat, Lucy, to now saving a cat.
1: Yeah so oh <laughs> I'm visiting my parents and uh they have a new cat named Nutmeg and if you recall uh you slowly, it's uh viewers will remember I I did advocate the uh the, the the murder of a cat on the show my parents previous cat Lucy who was crazy and a threat to them she put my dad in the hospital because she bit him and so this is Nutmeg they got Nutmeg and she's uh she's you know she's, she's definitely uh she's definitely uh, very energetic and yeah. uh and but hopefully, just not as violent and crazy as the last cat.
0: Well, you know. know already. Like if you had been doing to to Lucy what you're doing to Nutmeg, what would Lucy have done?
1: Oh, she'd be hissing and 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 and, and scratching and oh yeah, Drawing I would never do blood. this to Lucy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. she's but so no, cute, man.
0: and I don't even like cats, and she's so cute.
1: She is cute. She is. And let's hope she doesn't threaten my parents.
0: Of course, we want to remind people to join our Substack at usefulidiots.substack.com. And uh, there's so many reasons to do that. You get extended interviews, but of course, you also get uh, our Thursday Throwdown, which is your midweek dose of media madness. And we talk about various media happenings. We react to video clips, media clips. And on this week's Thursday Throwdown, we talk about the Twitter files.
1: All right. So. Every week, uh, we do something called the Absurd Arena, and that's where if you are a useful idiot and you sign up uh, to subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com, you get to interact with other useful idiots and ask us questions. So this week, we have a few questions. Uh, Wilson, what do we got? So this week, William Yonin, another useful idiot, asks, If big tech censors information and nobody knows about it and the entire mainstream media ignores it, did it actually happen?
0: Good philosophical (laughs) question.
1: It It is so interesting how when stories are deemed inconvenient, that they're just treated as if they don't exist. And we're going to see that today as we talk more in the Thursday Throwdown about the response to Matt Taibbi's reporting on the Hunter Biden uh, laptop, the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story, where the way it gets discussed, people who want to basically support the censorship of that story refuse to reckon with what the facts of that story actually are and they want to pretend that all that was censored was basically dick pics of hunter biden but it's not that uh it's actually there, there's a real story there and on top of the real story of the hunter biden laptop there's also the censorship of that story which people also want to ignore so that that is a great question
0: i'm going to say uh it did indeed happen even if you don't know about it just like a tree makes a noise even if you don't hear it
1: wow that's mind-blowing. Okay. That, that, that question's always mind-blowing about the tree falling in the woods.
0: Okay, what else do we got from the absurd arena?
1: Next up, Useful Idiot Gene asks, How do I possibly explain to, prepare, and equip my kids for the world wherein popular culture is so powerful, influential, and yet almost invisible while it misleads, distorts, shrouds, important news impacting the public?
0: Interesting. Two questions about visibility and invisibility. Hmm. Well, how do you equip your kids for that? I guess you got to train them by making them watch a lot of pop culture. It's probably not an answer you want to hear.
1: You're advising them to feed the kids the very pop culture that the parent wants to avoid.
0: I mean, I'm just trying to you got to know your enemy.
1: Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this because I was watching a uh, basketball game and I was thinking to myself like, God, when I think about all the basketball players over the years, I know so much about them. I know about their careers, I know about like their their like go to moves, their stats, and all this stuff and that's replicated. People who watch sports have so much knowledge of sports, like different kinds of offenses to run and all this and I was thinking if we were more all engaged in politics, that brain power we put towards understanding sports would be put towards. Politics and to actually having a role and having analysis of the decisions that impact our lives, like all the faculties we use to analyze sports, we could use to analyzing like actual policies that impact everyone's lives, and being collectively involved in making the world better instead of collectively involved just in cheering for a sports team and knowing a lot about the individual players. And I'm someone who's politically engaged, but obviously, you know, most people don't have the time to do everything, Uh, and so so much of our faculties that gets channeled into sports could be used for politics if sports wasn't such a distraction. So even someone like who loves sports still gets sucked into knowing about stuff that really has no impact at all on anyone's life except for the athlete, which is just not the top priority. So that's, it's like, it's just the, the ways we get sucked into being diverted from important issues. It's just, it, it's everywhere. And I, I don't have advice on how to avoid that.
0: All right. One more question. Comment.
1: So finally, Jay Lalbrecht says, I think we'll reach peak absurdity for 2022 when the next multi-billion dollar aid package to Ukraine includes provisions to pay for sick leave for Ukrainian train workers. (laughs) I can see that happening. Uh, I can see that happening a lot sooner than U.S. workers getting sick leave, U.S. funding uh, Ukrainian workers to get sick leave the failure to make a connection between the deprivation of uh, working people here at home and the just massive flooding of weapons to Ukraine paid for by the US billions of dollars worth it, it's unfortunate that that connection hasn't been made uh by the anti-war movement here in the US because there's no one in congress who will do that uh democrats won't do that because they're all in lockstep behind these bills and republicans like remember when there was that issue over the shortage of baby formula, right? Right. Like earlier this year. And initially Marjorie Taylor Greene was saying like, we're shipping all this money off to Ukraine, but mothers don't have baby formula. But then when a measure came through Congress to like vote on funding for baby formula, all those Republicans, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, (laughs) voted against funding it, you know? So even Republicans who like had the opportunity to take advantage of funneling all this money into Ukraine and not paying for a baby formula, they drop the ball because they can't stand the idea of basically spending money on social services and welfare. So right. uh, it, it's up to the anti-war movement to the extent it still exists to make that connection. And it's, but it's difficult when the anti-war movement is so marginalized right now. Right.
0: But uh, at least they know the Republicans to use as a talking point.
1: Yes. At least they know that. But uh, yeah, luckily for that, for Democrats, Republicans, don't have the conscience to follow through on what they say so right that can let democrats basically get off the hook for depriving people of their basic needs because there's no one really politically to call them out on it
0: that's where we come in aaron
1: that's where we come in oh absolutely yes call out. Absolutely. operation
0: call out yeah all right so should we go on to the four basic food groups democrats suck republicans suck isn't that weird isn't that terrible
1: let's do it what, what do we have for democrats suck
0: all right so for democrats suck Uh, We have an interesting clip of Rep. Jerry Connolly. So Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced a resolution to audit the $80 billion sent to Ukraine. Uh, And uh, the measure before the House Foreign Affairs Committee was defeated in a 26 to 22 vote uh, because of the unity of Democrats. And here is Rep. Jerry Connolly of Virginia reacting to that resolution.
2: This is about reaffirming our support to the Ukrainian people, and their struggle against authoritarianism, their struggle for the simple right to determine their own destiny, and they're sacrificing their lives for it. The least they can expect from us is that we will help them in that effort. We won't fight the fight for them, but we will make sure they have the resources they need to win that valiant fight. So, Mr. Chairman, I join you in opposing this seemingly simple ROI that is anything but because of the context and because of the message I believe it would send to the Ukrainian people. I would also add, Mr. Chairman, because you mentioned my, uh, wearing my other hat as the president of the NATO parliamentary assembly, the legislative arm of NATO. We need to be cognizant of the message we send our allies. In recent years, they have reason to believe maybe we're not that reliant. And we don't want to send any mixed message on this subject. I
0: think he means reliable.
2: We want to make sure that that alliance is strong, it's cohesive and it's unified. And that we're showing nothing but solidarity at this precarious moment. It's particularly important since the Ukrainians are actually winning on the battlefield. So I'm all for transparency and accountability. But not in this resolution, not now, not with this message.
0: Okay, so he's all for transparency and accountability, just not now. I don't know. I don't think like advocating for for transparency and accountability is something you can turn on and off. But it reminds me actually of the great words of a great man, long departed St. Augustine, who wrote, uh, oh, Lord, give me chastity, but do not give it yet. So he's basically saying, oh, Lord, give us transparency and accountability, but do not give it yet.
1: What do we want? Transparency and accountability. Yeah, when we do we want it? it? Not, not now. now.
0: That's good. Yeah. We we just gave the Democrats their slogan.
1: That This reminds me. I mean, he's, what he says there is so funny. Uh, I, I support transparency and account- accountability, but just, but just not now. He also said that uh, we're in the middle of a war, uh, and by we, he means the U.S. that is Playing such an integral part in this war, while claiming that all this is really just up to the Ukrainians, and you know we respect their agency. No, this is a U.S.-backed proxy war, and comments like this just underscore that to the point where you can't even have an audit of all the, the tens of billions of dollars that are being spent to uh, wage it. And it reminds me of a comment uh, that I recently saw from Matt Duss, who is someone I like to criticize because. Uh, he is a progressive who was the former foreign policy advisor to bernie sanders and in an article in the new republic earlier this year he basically went out of his way to say that nobody should engage with the gray zone which is the uh, outlet uh, founded by max blumenthal that i work for and that were like basically atrocity deniers and grifters and all this stuff so he went out of his way to declare us non grata so ever since then uh i've been uh very vocal in in criticizing him i Didn't say much before, but now I do, especially because he's using his progressive bona fides to advocate for the Ukraine proxy war. So check out what he said about uh, enriching the military industrial complex as a result of this proxy war in Ukraine that he supports. So Dust says to The Intercept, the policy I support in Ukraine continues to enrich defense contractors, enriches the military industrial complex. But I think the goal of reforming that military industrial complex and weakening its its power over our politics, that project continues in the longer term, even though the policy I support in the shorter term is essentially paying them off. So he's basically saying, yes, I support reforming our military industrial complex and weakening its power. In the short term, though, I want to enrich them and pay them off.
0: You know, it's all a question of timing. (laughs) Not now.
1: Accountability later enriching the military industrial complex now that's yeah. pretty much what it comes right. down to always just a a wealth of material for democrats suck they really never fail to deliver
0: i hope they watch us because we are giving them really good slogans
1: i don't think they do i don't think they do unfortunately so for Republicans suck uh, we have uh, fan favorite john bolton uh talking or teasing some potential presidential ambitions in 2024
3: You've just made some news there. You are essentially telling us that you would consider getting into the 2024 race. Absolutely.
4: I I think I think to be a presidential candidate, you can't simply say I support the Constitution. You have to say I would oppose people who would undercut it. You know, we used to have a thing in the House of Representatives called the House Un-American Affairs Committee. I think when you challenge the Constitution itself the way Trump has done, that is un-American
3: let's stay here for a moment just walk me through your thinking what does your timeline look like what would cause you to cross into saying what you're saying now and actually being a declared candidate for president
4: look all of the potential candidates know what trump has said this is no secret to anybody i don't see why they aren't saying it right now i i think the the voters the republican voters people who choose the republican nominee Nearly 95 percent disagree that Donald Trump is more important than the Constitution. I'm afraid there are some who would stick with Trump on this. What does a candidate have to lose by appealing to 95 percent of the base of the Republican Party? I actually think most Republican elected officials in Washington disagree with Trump Mm -hmm. on this, but they're intimidated. This is the time where there's strength in numbers. The more people who tell the truth, the easier it is for everybody else. So
3: what do you have to see that would make you say, now is the moment that I am going to declare my candidacy?
4: I'd like to see Sherman-esque statements from all the potential candidates. If I don't see that, then I'm going to seriously consider getting in.
3: And what is your timeline, Ambassador Bolton? Mm -hmm.
4: Well, I think it's going to have to be pretty short. We've already got one declared candidate for president in the Republican Party who doesn't believe in the Constitution. This is serious business.
1: She asked him so many times about what his timeline is. What's your timeline? what you know, it sounds like when you're, I don't know. I used to do this when I was applying for a job and I was wasn't hearing back. I'd be like, so, like, is there any like, kind of like timeline? Like, right. would you have a timeline? You know, <laughs> and you'd be but, interested uh,
0: in that job. So this comparison suggests that Kristen is very interested in his. Taking
1: that job. Yeah, maybe she wants to work for him or something. Yeah. But um yeah, look, so basically the impetus for this was Trump on True Social talking about how the Constitution should make I think he suggested that the Constitution should be suspended because of what happened to him in 2020, his That's deranged
0: steal.
1: fantasies about about having uh the election stolen from him. Um and then this led to this uh freak out from people, oh my god, Trump's gonna suspend the Constitution. Even though of course like Trump has no power like the president can't suspend the constitution even if Trump were to win again he couldn't even do it so I, i this whole freak out was i think i don't know a bit much and then bolton says that not only will he consider running for president but that there should be house on american activities so have trump investigated for posting that on truth social
0: Yeah, I don't know if he knows what kind of associations and connotations House Un-American Activities has HUAC, but that was really uh, associated with the McCarthyism and the blacklist. And in fact, Harry Truman himself denounced it, as ironically enough, as un-American.
1: Well, sure. But uh, John Bolton is a very bright guy. He knows exactly what HUAC was, and he wants to revive it, not just against Trump, but against pretty much anybody who he thinks doesn't sufficiently toe his line which is just uh standard neocon politics but look this is like a republican suck extraordinaire because so you know john bolden sure everything he says it's all you know guaranteed republican suck but also this is a trump sucks too because trump appointed this guy right trump promised to drain the swamp he ran as like sort of an anti-neocon candidate who's a criticizing He was pretending to be against military interventions abroad. Then he appoints a cabinet full of swamp creatures and neocons, including John Bolton, who not only stand for everything that Trump claimed he was going to drain from Washington, but also who hates Trump's guts, like (laughs) Bolton hates this guy and has been undermining him pretty much the first since like he first came into office to work for Trump. So this is on this is a huge self-own on Trump, too, that he ended up. Be, being such a um sycophant right and so cowardly that he appointed all these people who un, who undermine him and, a, and I'm sure a big factor in him appointing Bolton was that Bolton was a favorite of Sheldon Adelson, who was a big uh, donor yeah. to trump right um, one of many achievements that Adelson got done when uh, w- when Trump was in office
0: yeah Bolton is Bolton is such an odious person that uh whenever there were conflicts between him and Trump, I was definitely team Trump.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Bolton was angry at Trump that uh, Trump pulled back on bombing Iran, right? More than Bol, I mean, uh, more than Bolton wanted to. There was going to be some strike apparently that Trump called off at the last minute because over apparently, apparently, this is the story. Who knows what actually happened? But the official story is that Trump was concerned about civilian casualties. Bolton was very upset about that. But then, of course, Bolton uh, Bolton got Trump to assassinate Qasem Soleimani. Uh that happened uh under Trump's watch. And uh right. that was something Bolton really wanted to do. So
0: very handsome man, very, very handsome Soleimani. <laughs> and a very good meme game, which probably was part of what got him killed.
1: His Trump presence was in triggered memes?
0: by his memes. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, for and of course for, for John Bolton, the reason why he doesn't like Trump is not because he thinks he's an actual threat to the Constitution. He just doesn't like what a brute trump is and how bad he makes the the u.s look when he says honest things like for example when trump said that he was keeping troops in syria after people like Bolton undermined him to keep those troops there trump said yeah we're there to to, to keep the oil you're not supposed to say that you're supposed to say we're there to spread democracy and freedom and fight terrorism
0: right yeah just like when there was uh the khashoggi when khashoggi was killed uh, Trump was asked if he was going to, you know, impose any sanctions on on if he was going to do anything to um, MBS, uh, and he was like, "No, of course not, because they just bought a bunch of arms from us." As opposed yes. to Biden, who pretends that he's going to treat uh, Saudi Arabia like a prior, but actually just gave MBS immunity.
1: Exactly right. Exactly.
0: So what do we got next? Oh, we haven't. Isn't that weird? So this isn't isn't that weird and isn't that interesting? So reading at the BBC, um, the Oxford word of the year 2022 has been revealed let's see it's too hard for me to say guess what it is so i'll just have to tell you okay the first oxford word of the year to be chosen by public vote has been announced the winning word goblin mode is a slang term describing quote unapologetically self-indulgent lazy slovenly or greedy and quote behavior and it was one of the three potential choices selected by oxford lexicographers so they won uh they won the vote but the goblin mode people it got ninety three percent of the vote have you are you familiar with this uh this phrase
1: goblin mode no' yeah. I'm not never heard of it
0: yeah well, um apparently it started appearing online in two thousand and nine It went viral um in twenty twenty two over a fictitious headline scandal involving actress and model Julia Fox as well as a popular reddit post describing someone who had been acting like a goblin.
1: Goblin so, mode, all right. Well, hey. Goblin mode, yeah. Yeah, good to know.
0: All right, what do we got for Isn't That Terrible?
1: So for Isn't That Terrible, we have a, uh, a clip out of Britain where nurses are engaged in a very bitter labor struggle, um, seeking better wages, better conditions. Well, uh, Naheem Zahawi, who is chairman of the Conservative Party in the UK, has a message for them. Uh, that their demands for better pay and better working conditions are, guess what, helping Vladimir Putin.
4: You know, you're talking about not chasing inflation. Mm. For lots of people who are on low-pay jobs, they're not chasing inflation. They're trying to get a pay that is matching the cost of living because they're looking at their shopping bills going up. Mm. They're looking at their their energy bills going up. They want a pay to be reflecting how much more they're having to spend on things. It's not about embedding inflation for them. It's about surviving. Of
5: course, and absolutely, which is why... Uh, the Chancellor came to the dispatch box and delivered a £150 billion energy package. By the way, if you take that into equivalence, that's equivalent of the whole of the NHS um, to support people's households, otherwise their energy bills would have uh, spiked, to support businesses as well. Uh, The money we're putting into helping those most vulnerable, uh, the 8 million most vulnerable households, um, is significant. We have to come together. This is not a time to be divided, to I hope send a very clear message to Mr Putin that he can't use energy as a weapon in this way and we will remain united, which is why we've accepted accepted the pay review bodies on I guess the NHS uh, I guess and if on schools. You
4: know, uh, a an nurse office. on twenty grand a year, you you would think that maybe there were other ways of sending Putin a clear message on Ukraine rather than the fact that you're gonna have to well, no, have a real term take
0: up. Good response from that interviewer.
1: Yeah, I mean what else can you say when someone is so cynical and so war crazy that they feel the need to invoke Vladimir Putin to try to justify paying nurses low wages. There's nothing that these people won't exploit uh, just to basically invoke Putin and use that to justify uh, neoliberal doctrine, basically saying that like, we can't pay people decent wages because of Putin. Everything is on the table when it comes to right. uh, what can be uh, invoked in the name of Putin,
0: I mean that's why I was so mad at the railway workers. How could they do this at at this time? Help just Putin. giving fodder to Putin. <laughs> A Putin. nation divided helps Putin. Yeah, I thought railway workers were patriots, but I guess not. I guess they're just Putinists. All right, All right, so that's our four basic food groups. Now, before we go to our interview, we just want to remind you to join our Substack at usefulidiots.substack.com because we're going to bring. To you, not only an extended interview, as we do every week, but we've added a great, great, great feature, and that is called the Thursday Throwdown, which is your midweek dose of media madness, right? So uh, where we react to different media clips, and uh, this week, we're going to be talking about several things, including the Twitter files. So make sure you join at usefulidiots.substack.com.
1: All right. For this week's guest, we have Matt Kennard. He is the co-founder of an outlet called Declassified UK. Uh, author of the books Irregular Army and the Racket. And his next book, Silent Coup, comes out in 2023. Matt Kennard, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. As we're speaking, there's been a development in the Julian Assange case where uh, four media outlets, including the New York Times, have finally come out and said that journalism is not a crime and that Assange should not be prosecuted uh you are in the uk where assange is being imprisoned where is your sense of where things are at and and do you think that this call from these prominent media outlets signifies that things might be changing for the better in in julian assange's favor
5: i feel i feel that there is a kind of sea change in the case and the coverage coverage of the case um in recent weeks and months uh, which is indicated by by the, the letter that you talked about from the, the media organisations, but also this Latin America tour, which is uh, being made by WikiLeaks representatives where they're getting heads of state <clears throat> all across the continent to come out and, and say free Assange. And uh, also the mainstream coverage here is changing a bit. Um, first of all, they're covering stuff, which they haven't done. And second of all, uh, they're starting to look at Um, the case itself which is corrupt to the core uh, and that declassified we've done a lot of work on on the corruption of the case and I think that when sunlight is put onto this case it will disintegrate Um, and I think the the cost for the United States now of pursuing this is getting higher and higher in terms of its ability to project power in terms of it it sells itself as uh, the uh, the father of freedom in the world and yet it's 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 the it's the reason there's a publisher and journalist in prison in maximum security prison in London, and that's becoming more and more obvious to people. Um, I don't know. My sense is is that if they were going to drop the charges, they they would have done it by now, and they probably need a way out, an exit strategy where they can save face, because if they just drop the charges now, everyone's going to say, well, what what were you doing for four years? Why why have you why have you kept this guy in a maximum security prison? But I, I I'm not privy to any negotiations that are happening or any um settlement that will happen but i'm hoping something will happen because of course this is not going to be solved legally this is a political case and it needs to be solved with political through political means which i think is probably why they're doing that latin america tour but it's also why we're doing all the work we do on the case in the uk because when you start looking at this case you realize it's just it's all about the politics um i did a story last week which was about how 15 Um, UK government officials had worked on the secret operation to seize Assange from his asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy now this was a police operation Uh, why would you have 15 senior officials from the UK government working on a police operation and this is full-time assigned to the operation because it is a political case and in fact interestingly uh, I've been working on this, this case now for for years and it's basically impossible to get information from the UK government. They either block uh, information requests or they obfuscate um, their answers. Um, but last year, um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but a former foreign minister um, called Sir Alan Duncan, he was minister for the Americas from 2016 to 19. Um, he And he was the key UK government official in negotiating with the Ecuadorians. Um, to get Assange out of the embassy, he published a memoir which was extremely candid about what had happened behind the scenes, um, and 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 revealed this police operation, Operation Pelican. No one knew about it beforehand, um, which was why I was able to get this information I got last week because I could I could name the operation itself, but it had huge amounts of uh, information, and it showed so clearly that this was a completely political case the fight and and it, it was it, it, it got to the point where it was he was saying after lenin moreno who was the president of ecuador that handed assange over after he did that um alan duncan said oh i flew to um ecuador to say thank you to him and i bought a a, a plate from Buckingham Palace gift shop to give to him because he loves Britain and he loves the Queen. And you're sort of thinking, what more evidence do you need that this he's a political prisoner? That's not This is not what would normally happen in a legal case. You don't even have ministers congratulating presidents and giving him gifts and flying. So it's riven, it's riven. But then the other part of this is there's the Assange exception. No matter how much information comes out about how corrupted and conflicted the legal process is, um, it doesn't matter. The case carries on and goes through um, uh, court after court. And, and and obviously now he is due to be extradited. There's an appeal pending, but we don't know if they're going to hear the appeal and we don't know if they'll accept the appeal conditions. And I'll just finish w- with the last example, which shows the complete corruption of the case, which came out in Alan Duncan's memoir as well, which is that the high court judge who overruled, you know, originally the lower court um, district judge, Vanessa Baratza blocked the extradition, but on very narrow grounds. She basically agreed with every dot and comma of the U S indictment, which kind of put a nail in the coffin for the free press. But she said the conditions that he would be held under would be too onerous and and a threat to to his mental health. And he may commit suicide. So she blocked the extradition on those grounds. The U S then appealed that um, to the high court and the high court decision came in December, 2021. Now who was the high court judge who made, who overruled, uh, Vanessa He's called Lord chief justice, Ian Burnett, the most powerful judge in England and Wales. Alan Duncan in his memoir says that he has been good friends. That's the quote with this, with Ian Burnett, since they were in university. Um, and we actually contacted Ian Burnett when we did the story about this, um, to say, uh, to, to confirm, and he confirmed to us, which was shocking, surprising in itself, because you, you wouldn't think that a, uh, the most powerful judge in, in England and Wales would reply to an alternative media outlet. But obviously, Alan Duncan made a mistake by divulging that they were friends. So you have the, the, the judge who um, uh, green lighted Assange's extradition to the US is a 40 year good friend of the minister who orchestrated his arrest. Not only that, then flew to Ecuador to give the president a present uh, to say thank you for handing it over. And also Alan Duncan in, in Parliament had called um, Assange a miserable little worm. I mean, completely um, unprofessional behaviour. But so the whole system is corrupted. I mean, we, there's, I, can, I, can, I can go on and on because the original judge, who also made two key rulings against Assange in 2018, she's called uh, Lady Emma Arbuthnot. Uh, and she was previously presiding over the case. And she, her husband is a uh, a, a former Tory defence minister. He's called Lord Obatanot. He was appointed um, to the as a director of the personal consultancy of Sir John Scarlett, who's the former head of MI6. So, uh, and 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 that she she personally was funded by partner organisations of the Foreign Office. This is the judge. I remind viewers that that made two decisions against the signs originally. So it's all it's all corrupted. In fact, the the interesting thing is after we published a stream of stories about her conflicts of interest, she did step aside on the case. She didn't recuse herself, which would have had more ramifications legally, but she did step aside. Um but um and they appointed Vanessa Berezza who we tried to get information of but was kind of like a ghost there was absolutely no information about her, which is probably intentional. But so, I mean, that gives you a flavour of how conflicted the process is. And and obviously, the the craziest thing of the whole thing is that last year, um, uh, 30 former US officials went on the record to say that um, Pompeo's CIA, um, who were behind the prosecution of uh, Assange, uh, drew up plans to assassinate uh, uh assange in london uh, and a senior official said that the british had quote agreed to do the shooting so you have a case now where the uk courts have agreed to extradite a journalist and publisher which is never to a third country which the uk has never done before but not only are they doing that they're extraditing them to a country which is on record as planning to murder the uh the the, the defendant uh, completely wild crazy and that they're, they're willing to trash it seems they're willing to trash their reputation you know the UK judiciary has this global reputation for fairness it's not it's not warranted but it's definitely not warranted in this case and, and they're willing to trash their, their reputation globally to get Assange and it kind of shows how much in the pocket of the United States Britain is and it's uh, we, we know this from in terms of the political system the military occupation of the UK which is uh, uh, which is huge, uh, the US are across 11 different bases here. But they obviously, the, it, it seems like they occupy a judicial system as well, which is a scary, really, that's the scariest, because obviously, uh, the, the surest sign of authoritarianism is the politicization or state capture of the judiciary, an independent judiciary. And, and in this okay. case, it's clearly happened. And nothing is, it seems nothing will stop the cases.
0: It's also just insane that uh, the media hasn't made a bigger story out of the revelations that there was an attempt or that, that there was a plan in place to assassinate Julian Assange. I mean, that should be headline making news. And it wasn't like it was, bro- I mean, it was broken by Yahoo news, right? My Michael Isakoff, it was not broken in an alternative outlet that people can kind of uh, unjustifiably but typically marginalized as fringe i mean it's just absolutely amazing that this didn't make a bigger splash
5: yeah i agree it felt like i was living in 1984 honestly because the enormity of what they were talking about uh it's not as you say it's not some sort of alternative media it's not um a a dodgy source it's 30 former officials and they're talking about murdering a publisher and, and journalist in london and you would think it would lead the BBC News. Do you know that the only part of BBC which has ever mentioned it is BB- BBC Somali? So you can read about it if you speak Somali, but if you don't, if you, if you don't speak Somali, which not many people do in the UK, you would not even know this had ever happened. And that is insane. Um, and that's and, and it goes and actually it, it also goes for what I was talking about the conflicts of interest and irregularities in the case now we've done probably dozens now of stories about this case i think if any of those had appeared in the times the guardian or newspapers like that this case would have been stopped way earlier these mainstream media organizations are complicit especially the british ones because um there has been some good work done by journalists in spain el pais, el pais
0: yeah.
5: uh and obviously in the us with the yahoo news one uh there's been some good stuff in germany as well absolutely nothing in britain and in fact i interviewed stella assange the other day in london and she said do i i don't think julian would have spent a day in prison if the british media had done their job on this case so they are complicit um and it uh, there, there's that's a whole nother discussion is why they are but uh I think part of it is because they don't see Assange as a journalist, and they don't see what threat what what is happening to him as a threat to them. When, of course, it is a threat to all journalists, but but effectively, these a lot of these journalists are never ever going to do anything that's going to piss off um, real entrenched power anyway. So they they are safe in that extent um, in in letting Assange go. But it is an it is an outrage which I think history will not judge kindly, and. I think I held particular scorn for the journalists and institutions which profited massively from Julian Assange's bravery, you know? I mean, right. in 2010, uh, with the cables um, and going forward, he took all the risk. And then these, these people like uh, uh, at The Guardian, these journalists that, that, were, that got book deals and film deals and made loads of money and got huge scoops, None of them are ever at any of these events. Like, for example, there was a human chain around Parliament the other day. It would be really powerful if Alan Rusbridger, the former editor of The Guardian, turned up and made a speech. Mm. Why is he not doing that? Right. Why, are they, why, are they, why have they completely hung him out to dry? It's outrageous. And, 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 and it's all about trying to, what they've done in the UK is try to make it about him personally. So it's all judged on do you like him? Don't you like him? Now he's a, uh, you can have different opinions about that. Like everyone does. There's certain facets of him that I'm sure a lot of people don't like, but this isn't about him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about him relevant. surviving as a human being, obviously, but it's also about what happens if he gets taken out. And it seems that the, the, the establishment media and establishment journalists, even the ones that profited from his bravery are just uh, are MIA. They're, they're, and, and they have been from the start, uh, as Aaron said at the beginning, this, they seem to have woken up a little bit with this letter, but even that was tepid. You know, it wasn't yeah. didn't give it the sort of urgency and stridency that really the issue demands. I mean, because he could. I mean, part of it is probably they're scared he might die, and then yeah,
0: they don't want his blood on his on their hands.
5: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And it was this was the publications were the New York Times, the Guardian, Le Monde, El Pais, and Der Spiegel, and all of those publications had partnered with WikiLeaks. Hmm. So it's like the least they could do. Is say that the person who they worked with, who they broke major stories with, maybe shouldn't be allowed to rot in jail until he dies.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah. One correction on that: I said before it was four outlets. It's actually five: the, the New York Times and four others. But you know, speaking of um, on the topic of revelations that should blow up in this case and expose it for the fraud that it is, but haven't gotten enough attention. There's also the the issue of. The key witness that was used in the U.S. indictment, this this guy known as Siggy the Hacker, Siggy Thorderson, who's a convicted criminal in Iceland. And he said publicly that in exchange for him receiving immunity from the U.S. to a bunch of criminal charges, that he fabricated claims about Assange that were used in the U.S. indictment. And this guy's criminal background includes pedophilia. And this is the main witness used by the U.S. So this actually this issue actually came up, and we have a clip uh, at a recent event in Washington D.C. at the National Press Club, where there was this debate held on what should be done about Julian Assange, and it included uh, Barry Pollack, who's Assange's U.S. attorney. Uh, up against people who support prosecuting assange and so max blumenthal who's a, a journalist in the us with the gray zone asked mark Zaid, who's a, a attorney in dc who supports prosecuting assange about the presence in this case of convicted pedophile siggy thorderson and this is what happened
3: uh, max blumenthal the gray zone from here in washington dc um The U.S. government used as one of its key witnesses against Julian Assange an Icelandic criminal named Siggy Thordarson who was a known and confessed pedophile who attempted to pay children for sex, uh, was considered a sociopath by psychologists during a review and confessed to lying about Julian Assange, specifically directing him to hack the uh, personal devices of Icelandic reporters contributing to the indictment. He lied. He admitted to lying, um, this pedophile. Um, Mark Zaid, uh, on February 10th, 2018, you tweeted that you have gotten security clearances for guys with uh, child porn problems. So I guess I'll give this question to you. Do you think the U.S. government's recruitment of a pe- pedophile and confessed liar harms the credibility of the case against Julian Assange? And what do you think about the tactic of, uh, the U.S. government's tactic of recruiting pedophiles as witnesses against Julian Assange? Uh,
6: so, one of the things that I do, <laughs> no, not at all. One of, the, one of my main practice areas is, is handling security clearance cases. And there are a lot of allegations, unfortunately, involving child pornography, the vast majority of which never turn out to be child pornography. They turn out to be just adult pornography that a polygraph examination has led for someone to uh, speculate about. I don't make any decisions But about, just to be
3: clear, in the tweet, you said yes, that those guys I, I, have I'm problems well aware with child of my porn. i thank like you. You made a conclusion uh, that they had those problems, not a judge. That was your conclusion. Yeah, and,
6: and I'm telling you, I don't make any decisions about security clearances. The US government makes a decision about security clearances. But so you decided to any, help pedophiles. Anyone who ha- I have represented who has had an issue whether it's child pornography, adult pornography, criminal history, alcoholism, foreign national context, I make my case as a lawyer, just as Barry does in his case for his clients, Uh, and then the authorities make the decision. In that case, the US government. The reality is in a lot of criminal cases, a lot of the witnesses are not the best and nicest people. I don't know anything particular, uh, personal about this individual. I have no doubt that if Assange is brought here, Barry will do his best uh, capably and competently to attack the credibility of this particular witness. Uh, and at the end of the day, the facts will determine and the jury system will determine whether or not uh, Barry or others can successfully undermine this individual's credibility, uh, or, the indi- or the jury will decide that notwithstanding the past of any particular witness, that the facts lead to the criminal culpability of Assange.
0: Well, I mean it's like a double it's it's so funny. It's well no, it's not funny, it's disturbing, but he's both a very kind of uh uh unseemly figure who has been involved in not just sexual solicitation of minors, but also uh fraud and embezzlement. But then um and and he has been convicted of sexual offenses, but then you don't want to look at his at his record as a person just the fact that he admitted he lied i mean that's relevant in itself
1: yeah, i mean the whole premise of this argument is like we're supposed to believe uh, yeah okay sure there's all these problems with the case the cia plotted to poison and kidnap and kill assange and yeah our main witness liar is, our main a, liar, witness is yeah. a liar but he just if he comes over if he comes over give him a fair trial by the way yeah, in right. the eastern district of virginia which has like a overwhelming conviction rate in favor of the prosecution when it comes to national security cases. Uh, But we're supposed to just overlook all of this. And this is on top of all the manipulation and fraud that happened to put Assange in the embassy to begin with. I mean, just the problem like with the Assange story is just you pull any thread and there's just so much deceit and corruption.
5: Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what's so scary about it is just how it really has exposed how captured the judicial system, particularly in the UK, but even in the US as well. I mean, as you say, it's not going to be any different when he goes to the US. He's going to, be, he's going to come across the same uh, obstacles, which are basically that the state is running the judiciary uh, in this case. And it, as I mentioned earlier with the original judgment <clears throat> by District Judge Vanessa Barreza, which blocked the extradition on narrow grounds, it's terrifying if you read that. Because she accepts every single one of the uh, US um, indictments, claims and uh, about uh, uh, criminal activity by Assange, which effectively criminalizes any kind of national security reporting. Because that original US indictment, if you read it, it's, it, it, it literally lists calling for leaks as, as a criminal, as part of a sort of, as context yeah. for a criminal activity. And that, that, that that's what journalists do, you know. We, we, we're looking to get sources. We're looking to get documents. Um, and, and, and and establishment journalists say that they talk to sources and cultivate them and try and get them to find certain information. This is So what it does, and what that original ruling did, was criminalise any kind of national security reporting, not only in the UK, but effectively anywhere in the world. Because remember, Assange's quote-unquote crimes were committed not in the United States. What this gives the US is... Extra to- territorial reach around the world to yep. pluck any person, any journalist, publisher that is publishing information they don't like, and bring them to the U.S. and stick them in a in a hole in the desert for the rest of their lives. It, it's absolutely terrifying, and I think the s- people within the system must know how corrupting this case is for so many different um, tenants. Uh, it's corrupting the political system completely. It's corrupting the judicial system. Is corrupting uh, uh, U.S. relations around the world, um, but I think that Assange, because he he exposed the inner workings of the most powerful empire in the world, um, they see the cost to 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 them as 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 high, not not high enough to drop the case. Because what they want to do with this case is send the message out that you can't do this. Because if Assange is free, that does send a message that. Um, journalists can expose U.S. empire and can expose U.S. war crimes. Um, it means okay, you you'll, you'll have fifteen uh, or more, a decade of your life stripped away from you, and you'll be tortured and and whatnot. But but it does it, it will be a great day for freedom and great day for press freedom and journalism around the world if he does step free. Um, and the U.S. don't want that; they want that deterrent in place. Um, and of course, this was a this was an indictment that. Was put down under the Trump administration. So, uh, and Trump was, of course, attacked all the time for being mean to reporters in the White right. House, whatever. But all the people that were talking about Trump's uh, attacks on press freedom, they, none of them even mention Assange really, or at least probably support it. And I've, I definitely don't problematize it in terms of the Biden administration. If there was a, if there was a right. pressure that was coming from the liberal end of the st- uh, spectrum, uh, the establishment liberals. Biden would come under a lot more pressure to 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 drop this, um, and because at the moment it's it, it it's utterly perverse, isn't it? That the support for Assange from heads of state, presidents, is only coming from Latin America. Yeah, it's the only place. Where's he's an Australian citizen? The Australian the Australian government has done absolutely nothing. Uh, uh, the new prime minister Albanese has said a few nice things, but basically tepid they they and it, again it another it exposes another facet of all this which is that the five eyes um the english-speaking countries we are we live under the um the u.s uh, u.s domination and the u.s umbrella we we and i think that it, it goes to this idea of citizenship is is fluid and, and shows that we're not really we, we we can't be protected if the u.s wants to get us in the uk or wants to get an australian in the uk they can There's no, we're not protected by our government. Our government is not working for us. It's working for the United States.
0: And can you talk more about the um, Operation Pelican that you uh, covered in one of your recent articles?
5: Yes. So Operation Pelican was the police operation to seize Assange. And as I said uh, earlier, no one knew about it. It was a secret operation and it was divulged in Alan Duncan's diaries. They're probably very angry with him for doing that. But because we got the name, we were able to use that name to get more information about what was happening. And and last week I did a story where we'd got from the government uh, figures about how many of their their people were involved. And uh, we found that eight um, officials in the Home Office, the Home Office is uh, responsible for domestic security and other things. It oversees MI5. The Secretary of State for the Home Office um, also orders, uh, has to approve extraditions. And in fact, Home Secretary Preeti Patel ordered the extradition of Assange in June. Um, so it, it's, it has a massive, has a role uh, in, the, in the legal case as well. Uh, so they had eight people on him, on on, on this operation. The Cabinet Office, which is uh office which, the department which supports the Prime Minister and the British Cabinet, they had seven people on it, um, him. On this operation to get him. And then lastly, the Foreign Office, which actually told Parliament that no one within their premises was working on the operation. We found out that they'd actually misled Parliament, which is a serious offence that can lead to a minister's sacking or, um, uh, uh, or at least resignation. And... Uh, and 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 they told us well, they told uh, uh, another journalist at the classified called John McAvoy last year so he got in contact with me when, when he saw my original story and said that the foreign office had, had actually told me that there are three people uh, working on operation pelican so so that's uh, 18 officials and that's all we know about there's obviously secret uh, institutions like mi5 um and gchq and others that that might have had personnel assigned but we can never know what what, what that was but they um uh, Pelican, we basically know nothing about it because the other thing is, uh, apart from the number of officials, uh, the other thing is they obfuscate completely to the point where it's ridiculous. So, so the Home Office, we asked them what departments worked on Pelican. Simple question. They, you had eight people there, and they said, "Oh, we we don't know. We actually don't know what other departments were working on it." So you so you had eight. Officials assigned to it, but you don't even know what what, what other departments work in it, which is ridiculous. Uh, budget, they wouldn't give any information on that, and this just goes to the heart of all this stuff, um, which is why Alan Duncan's diaries are so so important to this case. And if, uh, and I, I would recommend people go and visit um, declassified UK uh, and look at the an article called um, the UK government campaign to evict Assange from the embassy, which I wrote, which is basically just a prelude of of the revelations in Duncan's book. But um, apart, from, but again, this goes back to the mainstream media issue. Not one newspaper has ever written a word, but a lot of them covered the diaries, but it was all uh, distract, distraction stuff. It was all like, oh, he said a mean thing about Boris Johnson. He called him a clown or something like that. No one put anything really about the the inner workings of Operation Pelican of uh, Duncan's role in, in getting assigned. Pelican... Uh, shows in my opinion especially the revelations last week how politicized this case was is and continues to be um when you have eight oh sorry well eight eight officials within the home office seven within the cabinet office three within the foreign office so 18 government officials working on a police operation for someone who's been given asylum by a friendly country uh, and obviously asylum is a as a right enshrined in the universal Declaration of Human Rights, and it should actually, if if, if the UK had lived up to their responsibilities, uh, they would have given safe passage to Assange for to, to, to go back to, to, to go to Ecuador, but they never did. And I interviewed Rafael Carrera, who was the, the president at the time recently, and he said that the UK were never serious about the negotiations; they treated them like a subordinate country. Course, yeah. So uh, I mean, it's a complete stitch up, uh, complete. But but as I said, it doesn't seem like anything can come out. Uh, that will stop it because I think that the Assange case is playing at a level which is above um, what we commonly understand about how our institutions work. Like none of the rules of the game apply. If you and that is that for me I think is the scariest thing of the whole of the whole thing is like it shows that if certain powerful forces within the deep structure of our countries want to get you, they can. And nothing to can defend none of the principles, none of the concepts that we're taught at school uh, apply. Um, They're all out the window and they will get you and you will be ruined and the message will be sent that you can't play at this level again.
0: Now, how did, uh, as you pointed out, it's really a shame that liberals who were rightfully and uh, justifiably uh, upset with Trump when he went after uh, Assange have not been as upset with Biden. And Biden actually basically sided with Trump over Obama. But how did Obama leave things?
5: Well, it's difficult to know. I know that the def, the defense uh, Assange's defense lawyers used um what Obama's uh, people within his DOJ had said during his presidency, which was that they called they called it the New York Times problem, right? right. Which is that if we indict Assange, what's to stop us indicting all the newspapers that that published the information as well? Okay. And that is, right. yeah, uh, and that is that is still holds. It doesn't make sense, does it? Right. He can. What is the difference between what he did? They say it's because he didn't redact them, but then, but, 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 but is the crime then the government t- decides whether you redacted the right things or wrong things? I mean, it doesn't quite add up, and I think that's the whole case is built on shaky ground. Not only shaky, but it's built on sand. None, none of it stacks up. Um, so I, I, I think the Obama administration knew that it was hard to 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 prosecute this without. Basically violating fundamental tenets of uh, the constitution, press freedom. Um, but uh, it would have been interesting if if uh, Clinton won. What would have happened? But we—that's uh, a uh, something we'll never know. But it, as you say, like the the case was began under Trump, but it's continued under Biden. Uh, and I, it's interesting. I, I don't know what what the situation is in the states, but it doesn't seem to be asked about it in press conferences. Science doesn't. Yeah. It's not a mainstream issue. I know there's a lot of talk uh within sort of libertarian right and, and on yeah. the left about it. But it doesn't seem like in press conferences this is ever an issue, which is which is astounding really, isn't it? Because uh it's being talked about all over the world. You've got six, or well, there will soon be six heads of state in Latin America. Big countries, important countries where relations with the US are really important, like Brazil, Argentina, Colombia. All coming out and saying we support the freedom of this publisher and journalist who's imprisoned in London because of the United States government. And yet domestically, uh, the, the national media doesn't care or at least doesn't ask the president about it. It's, it's very, very bizarre. And as I say, it's, it has got an Orwellian feel to it. It's like certain things just can't exist uh, as when, when, you come, when it comes to this case, just just fade out of, uh, out of the uh, ether. I mean, as we've, we've talked about the CIA plot in London, it's not only in the media. Do you not like, Usually, if they're a foreign power had plotted to assassinate a, a, a journalist or publisher on your soil, you would call in the ambassador immediately and at least ask for an explanation.
1: Yeah.
5: Didn't even, it wasn't even an issue. Not only did it not go on the news, but the government, there was no government um, uh, 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 response at all. And in fact, we asked the government, have you had any discussions with the US about um, the, the reported plans to assassinate Assange in London. And they said, no, we haven't. So <laughs> madness.
0: And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. So what what happened this week? Uh, Herschel Walker was defeated.
1: The Walker shocker. Who the would have Walker seen shocker. that coming? Who
0: could have seen that coming? The yeah.
1: Herschel Walker lost the election.
0: Let's, let's show a clip of Herschel Walker uh, saying something, because we're not going to be having a lot of Herschel Walker clips, uh, opportunities moving forward.
4: I told you early on that they said there was peace through strength, and I was strength our great military. But now they're bringing pronouns into our military. They're bringing wokeness into our military. I don't even know what the heck is a pronoun. I can tell you that, and I'm sick and tired of this pronoun stuff. What I want all military men and women to do is to be at war fighting.
0: So what I find ironic about him saying that he doesn't know what pronouns are is that his name starts with he and her.
1: (laughs) That's that's a good point. Right? That's a really good point. Yeah. If anyone should know uh, what a pronoun is, it's the guy whose name starts with he and her.
0: Yeah. He barely, he really doesn't (laughs) know himself. Well, But now that he's lost, he can start a journey.
1: Yeah. He can be known as he Herschel Walker.
0: That's good. He Herschel yeah. Walker. So yeah. now we know what pronouns he prefers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he her yeah. Walker. Yeah. What's also funny about that clip is he says he wants soldiers to be fighting. So does that mean he wants to constantly send soldiers off to war? Like should we right. invade war countries? Well, so long to he Herschel Walker. You had a great run. You were only there because Donald Trump selected you and Republicans couldn't stand up to trump and trump liked you like herschel walker because he played on his football team in the 80s or something and i think honestly there was some tokenism going on like trump thought that if he just picked a black person that that would be enough to win over black georgia voters and defeat warnock but you know i mean they came close i know that's a scary thing it
0: did come pretty close yeah yeah but you know we we do need to say goodbye to walker herschel walker because he did lose his erection
4: well, first of all, dissurrection is more than Herschel Walker. Dissurrection is about the people.
0: Well, that was great.
1: Yes, and for more, go to uh, Matt Kennard's uh, outlet, DeclassifiedUK.org. A lot of really great investigative reporting, and uh, that was depressing. The corporations have yeah, taken over. pretty
0: depressing.
1: Progressive leaders, when they get... Anywhere close to elected office, they get sabotaged by everybody. And Julian Assange is still in prison. But um, a but you got to know.
0: You got to know what's happening. We
1: got to know. You got to be informed. And uh, if you're listening to this on Friday when this comes out, there's a rally in New York City yeah. on Saturday outside the British consulate to support Julian Assange. So if you can make it, come out.
0: And of course, join our Substack, uh, usefulidiotssubstack.com. useful idiots.substack.com. You'll get our Thursday throwdown where we talk about the Twitter files and you get our extended interview with Matthew.
1: All right. Useful com. See you next week. Bye everybody.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching useful idiots for full episodes and extended interviews. Please subscribe at useful idiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash idiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod and use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.